and then the other key thing that people would say would be, I wish I did more earlier than I did. I could have built a portfolio three times the size of the one I currently have right now. Hey all, this is Arjun Paliwal, Head of Research at Investigate Buyers Agency, and welcome to another episode of the Investigate Podcast. Now, I'm sure you're all listening to property podcasts out there, but one of the most famous property podcasts in the country, and I definitely encourage you to listen to, is the Smart Property Investment Show. And uh, often uh, we have the host there, Phil Tarrant, have many guests on, and I'm very fortunate to be one of those guests from time to time. Uh, but he does talk to a lot of superstars, heavyweights, uh, heavy investors, first-time investors, people starting, people learning a bit of it all. But very few times do people give him a bit of love and say, mate, we'd love to hear from you. So I thought we'd do this special approach and hear from uh, the ever-popular Phil Tarrant. Phil, how are you, mate? All right, Arjun. How's things, mate? Very, very good. I know we uh, caught up not long ago and actually had a chance to catch up on the industry awards night at Real Estate Business. How did you find that? You just want to talk about it, don't you? I know what you're up to here. <laughs> I'm finding a way to keep this string longer and longer, Phil. That's what we're doing here. But uh, I'd rather you talk about it than me, to be honest. Oh, of but uh, this... Of course. Well, what Arjun doesn't want to talk about, but he wants to talk about, is that he, uh, his business won the uh, buyer's, buyer's, agent, buyer's Agency of the Year at the uh, REB Awards. Uh, it was literally last week, by memory. So... This is a big uh, national awards program for, for real estate uh, that is put on by Momentum Media. It's been going for about 11 years. And it's the only real awards program that has no bias or agenda. So you don't need to be aligned to a particular real estate office or a, a state body or even the, the national uh, association. So it recognises all professionals and organisations operating in and, and around real estate in Australia. And, and somehow Arjun's business got up um, uh, but well-deserved, mate. You should be congratulated. And no doubt you and your team had a good night. We had a phenomenal night. And honestly, I can actually remember the moment when they were saying our name. We were looking at our phones and looking around, just seeing who else was going to be the the winner of it all. But when it came to be our name, stoked. That's good. Well, you must be doing something right, Arjun. And, and no doubt, you know, initiatives like creating your own podcast. And I know you're very generous in a lot of the research and information that you create. Uh, you have your own other property podcasts, which is Property Nerd. So every man and his dog has a property podcast these days, but uh, uh, one of yours is syndicated across the Property Investment Podcast channel, where a lot of people will be familiar with me um, on the Smart Property Investment Show, uh, tuning into that. So uh, Arjun, keep up a good fight. It's, uh, it's a good profession you've chosen, and you seem to have taken it like a duck to water. You know, I, I saw a, two tables, so 20 plus people have, uh, within your organization now, and such a small period of time. Uh, I've been very fortunate uh, to have watched the growth, not really the birth, but but really, you know, this sort of the nascent um, buyer's agent sector uh, for about the last sort of 15 years and, and now seeing it uh, as an enabler for Australians, whether they're owner-occupiers or, or investors, to to realise their goals in property, whether it's finding a home to live in or, or wealth creation. So uh, it's I get great satisfaction out of the role we've been able to play in driving that particular sector moving forward. I back buyer's agent. I've used them for the majority of the, the, the real estate that I've purchased. Uh, and I speak about that at length on the Smart Property Investment Show, so not really for today. But um, uh, it's good to see the cadre of professionals we now have uh, in and around uh, buyer's agency. And I think it will grow over the golden, the golden decade, a golden future ahead of buyer's agents as uh, they continue to expand and, and extrapolate not only their service offering, but also 
you know, how they can help Australians better understand properties. So initiatives like this, Arjun, is very, very good. But you want to talk to me today. I don't really like getting asked questions. Personally, I don't like getting asked questions. So pretty good at avoiding answering questions, but uh, <laughs> we'll, give it a, we'll give it a red hot crack. But thanks for the invite onto the, um, uh, on the podcast as well. I always like chatting property and Tuesday mornings we're, we're recording this is where I do a lot of my property work. And I've even, I think I've dressed appropriately. I've tried to look a bit property today. So I know this is also a, a video. So um, uh, hopefully I look the part and sound the part, but Arjun, unlike yourself and many of those other people I spoke about beforehand, um, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a journalist. So operating around property rather than being a professional that supports clients and customers and investors that are own occupiers. So I, have the privilege of, of viewing property through a particular lens um, and I can navigate the whole sector, really. Um, you know, one of the great things is I get to pick up my phone particularly on property because of where and, and how I operate within it. So um, being able to talk property from, from my point of view, if anyone finds any value out of it, well, that's good. And uh, we know where to find you on the on not only on this show here, but the Smart Property Investment Show. And on that note, Phil, of you seeing growth in industry, growth with us or other things in terms of uh, the audience and many other investors you've seen it also something that you've had the benefit of is actually seeing several market cycles so when you are in now the the seat of hearing so many other investors investing yourself as part of the smart property investment portfolio what do you see most investors get wrong and end up later regretting at the point of cycle we're in now when it think when you think of all the cycles that you've seen well i, I don't know how many cycles i've seen i'd probably call it at least one maybe maybe two um i started investing Oh, you're not you're not that young, Phil. You've seen a few more cycles than one or two. Yeah. So, well, but, you know, as an investor, I started investing in 2012. So, I've been at it for about 12 years. Um, uh, but working as a journey in and around property before, they could call it two cycles. Call it from the GFC is really when I was really got got involved uh, in, in and around property. So, uh, you call that a couple of cycles. Uh, the cycle we're in right now, Arjun, is a, is a real tough one because no one's really seen it before. Uh, there 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 are investors and there are people with mortgages that will remember interest rates of 17 plus percent back in 1992 and, and around that sort of period of time. Um, but but most people of our ilk, so people who have been in property for the last sort of 12, 13 years, these are the first interest rate rises they've ever seen beforehand. And, and it's a rude shock for many people. And you already see it trickling down. We all know the Reserve Bank met uh, last Tuesday a week ago, uh, that shock decision. And I don't know when you're releasing this podcast, so hopefully I'm not dating it, but um, that shock decision raised interest rates now 25 basis points. Uh, I think people are now really starting to struggle. So they are curbing spending. I've just personally, Arjun, uh, spent uh, the last couple of days going through my portfolio, uh, which which is it's, it's, it's a real first world problem. I hate doing it. Um, it's time consuming and it's tiresome and it's frustrating and yeah, this is updating interest rates and repayments and all this sort of stuff. And um, I had to be fair, I hadn't really looked at it since since interest rates started going up back in May of last year. So you know, I should I know they've been going up, but I haven't really looked at it to see what was the key impact of it. And um, I, I I was really really shocked. And we're talking about sort of what you see in different market cycles. I was really shocked to see how some banks and, and talking banks have behaved in terms of ratcheting up interest rates, you know, and one in particular, and I've got to work out whether I'm going to name them yet because, you know, I, I sent a note to them the other day and I was, it was a National Australian Bank, I'll say who it is. I hadn't looked at these rates, Arjun, since, call it April of last year. Some of the loans I had with Nas National Australian Bank had reverted from interest only to uh, 
principal and interest, uh, which is okay, they, they run their course, but they push the rates up over 8%. And I hadn't really looked at it. And, and I'm getting, you know, mid to high fives with those lenders, like St. George, happy to shout out to them. Um, and and I, I fell off my chair. I was like, you know what? Like, that's not cool. You know, that, that's, a, that's a gouge. That's a proper gouge. That's interest rates over and above the increase in interest or cash rates. And no doubt the bank will say, oh, yeah, because it come off an interest only into a fixed rate. It should go down rather than up uh, the interest rate on that basis. So um, I've said a couple of cycles and what people get wrong is maybe not being as connected as they should be with uh, their portfolio so they can ensure they've always got it at the best sort of um, uh, cash flow situation can be. But the biggest mistake people make, Arch, the biggest mistake I've seen time and time again from probably chatting with thousands of investors and, and hundreds of people who are property professionals is people buy the wrong property first. And, and, and you see it all the time. You know, I'd say half of all investors, if they're being proactive about it, are trying to deconstruct poor purchasing at the front end of their portfolio creation to actually accelerate towards the back end. Um, unfortunately, what happens is that most property investors buy the wrong property first. Hence the reason why most property investors in Australia own between one or two investment properties because they buy the wrong property first and it's just a handbrake uh, that doesn't allow them to continue to grow and evolve. That's the biggest mistake and it happens time and time again. And you must see it all the time in your business, Arjun, trying to fix problems who people have had the right idea and the right intent to invest in property, but they've gone about it all the wrong way. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting point. On the bank point you raise, this is where I can give you some absolute proper evidence on what you've just said. Uh, my career back before the buyer's agency or podcasting days, I was a banker. And uh, that's that's B uh, B banker, right? So it's not a it's not the other word. Sometimes people try and start it off with. But uh, uh, back in the days when my banking uh, time, I spent a lot of time in the research of of just you know the head office of the Big Four and CBA and understanding what's happening. And it was one interesting statistic that blew me away. That actually shapes exactly what you said. It was the fact that people, on average, had their home loans with one of our biggest banks in the country for only four point five years. And just Think of that for a minute. We're here thinking it's a 30-year properties long game. Average tenure for holding properties is typically around 11 years for owner-occupiers and maybe seven, eight for investors. And for half the time of that, we can't even keep it with one bank. And so we have two ways you can approach this. Hey, make, make happy days for the shareholders and get as much business as you can now. Or second is play the long game. And we have the same problem in politics as we do in banking play the long game, try and generationally change something, structurally change something, focus on the most loyal and keep them there for eight, nine, 10 years. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen. And you get it all the time. Brokers are in this constant battle. And, and you know from the, the team at Finney who do a great job there as well, they are in a constant battle of actually trying to price new loans for new people. And it ends up being better than what people are usually on already. And the problem is that you have to battle. To be fair, I've got they call it six or seven lenders uh, across my portfolio, they've all behaved pretty well. They've all behaved pretty well. And uh, well, what interest rates at now? 3.85%, correct? Yeah, and then up from 0.10%. So rates have gone up by 3.75% uh, since May. I've got that right, since May of last year. Now, you would expect that they've passed on all those interest rates because that's the privilege of the bank, right? You can't fight too much about it. You just got to cop it, right? There's stuff you can do about it. We can chat about that. But you've got to cop it, right? So ideally, what I thought you should be doing, I imagine if I think this, most Australians think this, going, well, okay, if I started at 3%, my rate should now be 6.75%, correct? Logically. 
logically. That, that's what the official cash rate has been. But when you go and have a look and it's eight point something percent, you just go, come on, like what's the justification for that other than gouging the property investor? I, I cannot see it. And the fact that you've got to fight to keep the banks honest, the fact that you've got to fight to keep lenders um, honest, it just erodes confidence that people have in, in, in lenders and the fact that you, you, you look at their marketing messages and they're like, yeah, we, we'll look after you, prepare for your future. I don't know all these different slogans that they have around it, right? It's a joke because if they can get one over on you, they'll give it a red old crack. So going back to the point, having seen a couple of different cycles where people get it wrong, it's not keeping the the bastards honest, if I can use that word. And I know people over many, many years have said this, right? The fact that you've got to spend time, energy and effort on, on, on policing the banks. And as I said, some of them have done, they've done right. Even some non-banks and, and, and um, Pepper, for example, they've just they've passed it on that's cool i get that they're right, i'm going to give them a call later on and say i reckon you can give me a sharper rate no worries and, and i've got to do that with everyone but you can't you can't go over and above you can't gouge that's not cool so so the, the message for all investors and, and whether you you know an occupy it's irrelevant make sure make sure you know where your interest rates are right now because i'll tell you what the banks aren't going to proactively go about telling you what they are and they make it pretty bloody hard to find them also if you've dug down through your your banking um, uh, portals. Like it's not a big number that says you are currently paying this, you've got to get into it. It takes you time to get it. They, they don't make it easy for you. What's interesting is they're spending a lot of money building the the complaints departments and the retention teams. And it's like, hey, instead of building the, it's like, let's get it right up front instead of building cash and spending it all on a huge amount of resources to stop complaints or save them right at the end. But that's, in a, that's another story. Now, Phil, on that side, when you, look at that mistake that you see from several invest uh, several cycles and most investors what they make what about the flip side out of all the successful property investors you've interviewed what are some of the top three traits that you see hey this is really building a successful property portfolio well, well i'd say the absolute inverse of what about i just spoke about the fact that people think um property is a passive investment you buy a property and, and everything will sort itself out right what I'm talking about is, yeah, I haven't appreciated interest rates going up, but I haven't been hyper-focused on it. I've just gone, yeah, it'll, it'll get it right. It'll, it'll sort itself out, right? Property is not a passive investor. It's a very active investment. So so the first point is the best property investors are active. They, they've dialed in and now I have the routine and the rigor and, and, and um, the process for perpetually reviewing their portfolio. Might be weekly, might be monthly. Um, I wouldn't probably leave it out too much further than that. They know where their interest rates are. They're, they're, they're thinking, they're preparing for the future. And sort of the second point being is that you administratively need to be sound and connected with your portfolio. And the second point is a good outcome of that is you know your, your cash situation. So the best property investors I know have always got an eye on, on cash flow. How much is this portfolio costing me, positive or negative? So is this putting money in my back pocket? How is this gonna enable my serviceability to keep investing in property uh, moving forward? So the best property investors are always thinking cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. It's when you sort of don't get that first point right, that is really good sound administration, that your cash flow starts going away, and then you get a rude surprise when you haven't really looked at your portfolio in nine, 10 months and go, holy Jesus, what's going on here? This ain't, this ain't looking too good. And the time, energy and effort to fix that is gonna certainly outweigh the perpetual maintenance of it moving forward. So that's point one and two. And point number three, the best property investors, um, they know why they're investing in property. 
Argent. Um, they're, they're very goal orientated. Uh, some of them are very sophisticated about the goal setting, some of them less so. But, you know, and your goals could be, oh, well, I want to create wealth through property. That's okay. Then you've got to get sort of tactically how do you go about doing it. But they know why they're investing in property. Uh, and largely, I don't know, people will tell you they love property, but pretty much every single person I know that invests in property wants to make money out of property. And, and people want to make it for different reasons. Some people want to prepare for a nice retirement. Some people want to buy a fancy car. Some people want to travel at the front of a plane rather than the back of the plane. So they want to augment their income with, with property-related income. It's largely irrelevant why you want to do it, but most people want to do it because it's got to increase their wealth. Uh, and a big part of that is capital growth. So uh, property investors that, that I know and I've seen are always chasing the best places to invest to get those two magical, marvel things that comes along with property, and that is capital growth and, and yield. Uh, you want both of them if you can. Most people are chasing capital growth because you can leverage that in many different ways. You can sell your property, realize the equity. You can refinance, realize the equity. There's a whole number of ways that you can um, skin a cut there. But again, it's got to come down to how effectively you can hold your portfolio. And that was going to be sort of if there was a fourth point. Most people I know, most property investors I know, they've done the hard yards and built very good foundational portfolios first. So they buy and hold, and then they typically get to a point where they start trading property, transacting property, and that might be selling down and, and recycling assets. But you can't really do that until you've actually done the hard work of getting a really good uh, base, base level portfolio. And some people's base level portfolio might be three properties, other people's might be 50 properties, right? It's again, it's relevant horses, of course, but you must see a lot of people like that. Yeah, well, one, the two things I'm taking out of this that really stood out is there's almost this business mindset to property investing, Phil. It's like cash flow, staying close to it. What are we doing this for? What's the goal? It's business, isn't it? What I've seen a lot of PAYG um, property investors, um, it, it's, it's, it's a real enabler. It's, it's, it's a mechanism of empowerment. You might have a nine to five job wherever you are doing it. You get a paycheck every single month. But what, what property investment gives people and the new fashion work for is a side hustle. It puts them in control of their financial future. They actually get to run a business if you're investing in property. You've got to think of income, expenses, profit and loss, equity growth, everything that's around it. Every single property itself is a small, it's a micro business. And if you have a lot of little micro businesses, it becomes a small to medium business. And uh, if you're not thinking of property investment like a business person, don't invest in property because it's, it's not all bells and whistles. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes you just want to sell everything because you're sick of it. Sometimes you just go, oh, I've got a thousand problems at the moment. I don't want to deal with them. I wish I didn't have any properties at all. Don't worry, everyone goes through that same thing. You must. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, that it's definitely such a that business feeling. I'm just getting it and hearing it again and again. And I, I encourage everyone listening to stay really close to that because you get the side hustle now. Once you're one property in or you're multiple in and you're just planning for it, you're, you're in side hustle mode. But Phil, there was this other thing that I really picked up that you said a couple of times and I really do feel that everyone needs to resonate on this point is you constantly said cash flow and growth, having both, having people believe that's this one or the other and it's just completely opposite spectrums. I have some fun data that everyone knows I love to share and that is 90% of local government areas in Australia, so councils, achieved 5% compounding growth or more over the last 25 years. So there are two things one should realize there. Just by investing long term with that horizon, you're likely going to get capital growth being 90%. And you know, for the 10% that didn't hit it, extremely remote, extremely single economy and below 10,000 population was the mass majority of 10%. And, and that goes to the first point around 
the biggest mistakes people make is they buy the wrong property first, and they're probably people that have invested in those areas. It's if you're if if you're investing in property for the long term, it's a very forgiving asset class in, in relation to the notion of of capital growth. If you largely get it right, you're not going to get everything perfect, but if you largely get it right, you're going to do okay. Like you're going to do okay, and and, and you just shared some stats there, Arjun. And that's that's a key part, right? Because one thing you can do with that stat is now you know you're in the game and you're holding it long term. You're going to likely be okay. Don't just throw cash flow away from the decision making. Consider it now because you're in. If you hold 25 years and you've got a nine ten chance of probably being okay. You've got to get in the game. Like if you're in the game, you know 90% of winning is beginning, right? You know if you're in the game and you're surrounding yourself with the right people, you're listening to the podcast like this, you're getting the right education, etc. It's it's largely hard to get it really wrong if you don't overextend yourself and you invest within your means and you know to put some prefaces in there but um if you're in the game you, you you're a long way ahead of everyone else but you look at and, and chatting with property investors over many years um talking about getting the wrong property first other things i always say is that i wish i wish i started earlier so i wish i got in the game earlier uh, and then the other key thing that people would say would be I wish I did more earlier than I did. I could have built a portfolio three times the size of the one I currently have right now. If I think back to when I started it, uh, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why I didn't, I was too busy and X, Y, Z. But but in hindsight, I, I could have accelerated it harder. Like I could have accelerated it a lot harder with the benefit of hindsight because I was investing in some great areas which have gone double and triple days, right? Well, l- let me take you to get some hindsight into it and, and almost say, let me take this all away from mm. you and say, hey, Phil, you lost it all today, bar 100K cash. What would your first three steps be to build back to what you have now? So if I had 100 grand right now, starting off in property, I'd be in Perth and, um, and, and South Australia, probably primarily Perth right now, because if you have 100 grand, uh, you're picking up some assets in the east, southeast areas of Perth uh, right now. You're in, you're in the market for, for low 300s in, in good areas for capital growth. Uh, I'd, I'd be, if I had 100 grand right now, I'd probably be picking up two, if not three assets uh, in that area, which to me, I, akin to what the Western suburbs of Sydney was uh, probably 12, 13 years ago. Three assets straight away, I'd be using LMI, so I'd be getting it at 90%. I reckon just by doing that, you're gonna be probably at least cash flow neutral. Um, maybe a little bit negative if you're going in at 90%, and then I'd just let that percolate for a couple of years, and then I'd refinance. That, that's that's what I do if I'm starting out right now. And that's not advice, by the way. That's just what I do. If anyone's tuning this, you know, don't do it because I said to. Go and speak to someone that knows what they're talking about, like Arjun. But that's what I would do if I had 100K to start again. And it's funny because I could do that right now, yeah, quite easily. Um, but, I, but I sit there, and because I've invested in property, for so many years now, I sit there and go, oh, do, do I really want to buy three $300,000, $350,000 properties, uh, houses in, in, in Perth right now? And I just go, no, I, I just don't have the time, energy, effort, bandwidth, and the juice isn't worth the squeeze, if that makes sense. But I can say that because I've got, I've, I've, I've done the foundational work 10, 12 years ago. Sort of stuff I'm buying now is different sort of stuff. But if you want to get going in property, what, what I did, we did 12 years ago, is it still exactly the same today? Couldn't change the strategy. Trying to identify under market value properties in areas with good capital growth potential and reasonable sort of uh, yield. 
strategy is exactly the same. The, the tactical deployment of that strategy or execution will be slightly different. It'll be a different location. It wouldn't be the Western suburbs. It would be Perth or Adelaide, potentially. But I'd still be buying houses. I'd still be using a buyer's agent because you're just not going to get the good stock if you're not. I, I'd still be sp spreading uh, the lenders' uh, finance of these properties. I still wouldn't be cross-collateralizing uh, the loans connected with them. I would potentially still look at LMI. We, we only use LMI for, for one or two of our, our properties just because we wanted to move super quickly. You know, it, it doesn't change. You know, and if anyone tells you property is complicated, it's not. Just explain how simple it is. But the simplicity is the uniqueness of it because it's hard to get right. Uh, hence the reason why, to my earlier comments around buyer's agent, the, the, the rapid growth of buyer's agents, because people go, yeah, I can do that myself. Go, all right, go for it, good luck. And in two or three months later, when they go, I can't find a property, everything that's everything that's listed on realestate.com is overpriced, uh, it always goes more than what I said it would in auction, I can't get agents to return my calls, all that sort of stuff. One of the reasons why is when buyer's agents are in there behind the scenes getting business done. So not much would change, Arjun. But 100 grand today, you can do a lot of damage with. Yeah, I think that when I break down those three steps, it sounds like it's number one, see areas of value that you would like to invest in. And whether that's Adelaide, Perth, anywhere else, um, that's for everyone to decide. Number two is using the bank's money. And that's where the concept of LMI leverage comes in because the more dollars you have to put in the start, the less places you have. And obviously with your own buffers and things like that. And number three is if you know you can get growth and you're in the game long term, how can you find the balance of growth and cash flow so you don't hurt your business? You mm. allow your business to keep growing off property and then transform that side hustle into a major hustle. And that's when you look back and you go, maybe it's not the right point for me to add on that three or 400K property because you can make bigger moves with the moves you've made to date. So very well summarized there, Phil, in terms of breaking that down. You've done that well and that helps me understand and hope everyone here listening in is able to look at just going, hey, how can I start applying these sorts of moves? Not necessarily the same exact locations, different locations. That's all up to you. But those moves and concepts, if you had the 100K today, are very helpful. Yeah. The challenge you have, Arjun, is that, like, me and you talk about property just get out, just it's, it's easy. You know, you just, because you just know it, right? Um, but but I'll, I'll tell you, most people don't know it. You see it happen time and time again when you speak to property investors. They all have this sort of inflection point of their life where someone flicks on a switch and they go, hang on a second. You know, it's like, I was blind and now I can see. When they start understanding the idea of leverage, uh, when they start understanding the idea of capital growth, of um, they start to understand the idea of releasing equity. Like these are really simple terms that people bandy around all the time, but but they're they're, like, they're, they're quite complicated, right? Um, when when people actually understand, when they start understanding the the, the idea around um, uh, negative gearing. You know, when they, again, it's like a light bulb moment. You see a lot of foreigners coming to Australia and they just go, what? You can actually do that? Like, that's a tax incentive? You go, yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, it's the reason why property investors have 93% of all um, uh, all uh, rental stock in Australia is owned by mum and dad investors, Arjun. So, you know, these are they're complicated terms, but, but, but people get obsessed by it. And you must see it all the time. They, they sort of... Here's something that someone talk about property. They'll start listening to podcasts like Smartphone Investment Show or the Investor Kit uh, podcast, and they go, well, how do I how do I get in this? I want in. Yeah. As a side hustle, it's better than driving an Uber. <laughs> and Phil, I guess uh, I've got my last two questions for you. What's the most unlikely advice you've ever received that has stuck with you and helped shape your success over the years, Phil? Unlikely advice. What are we talking? I'm going to struggle with that one, I think. Um, 
I'm quite fortunate that I get to speak to a lot of people and, and, and often it's just affirming a lot of ideas. I'm trying to think of a, a particular piece of advice. It's funny, it goes back to the point I probably made around I could have, and, and now I just think it's absolute madness, but back to the point that I made around not doing more than I could have earlier on in property investing. And I, and I remember going, I must have gone to 10, 20 auctions where I didn't buy something. And the reason why I went $2,000 or $5,000 over what my reserve was. And I, and I sit there and I just, I sit there thinking now, just going, really? Like it just it wouldn't have, it just wouldn't have mattered. Like 5,000 bucks back then versus more properties in my portfolio that, that would have had maybe a couple hundred percent growth. Um, but the advice being, and it's from, from a buyer's agent, don't overpay, don't overpay for property. Uh, and if you can embrace that, that philosophy, it's, it's sort of, it's unlikely advice because you would assume that that advice is sound and, and, and quite common knowledge, but you need to have that discipline as a property investor. You know, and, and today that might be equivalent to $10,000. You know, you buy a house in Perth for three fifty. that's what you think it's going to be. And it goes to three sixty. you go, that's only 10 grand, I'll buy it. This is when you see yourself extrapolating, people that start extrapolating themselves in the problem because that, that, that additional $10,000 is probably more debt or it's more deposit that needs to go into it. And if you put more deposit into that in order to secure that asset, that might delay you purchasing another property, one suburb, two suburbs over in another state by another six or seven months. You know, so you start thinking about the missed, the, the, the missed opportunity cost by doing that. So uh, the unlikely advice is don't overpay for property and, and invest within your means. Right, that's, uh, that's some pretty solid unlikely advice. And with, the, with regards to the means, I think that 1K, 2K, 3K, Understanding how important that is as well in the long-term picture is clearly what you've recognized there for yourself. Now, I guess the looking back at just what you said there is there's also moments where I, I found there's something I tried, Phil. I'm not sure if you've tried this yet, but I had like two limits in my own bidding in auction. And so one limit was the I feel smart if I win it by this point. And the other limit was I won't feel shit if I miss out after this point. And it's strange how the mindset worked. I'm sure that first point should have just been it, but it's also capturing emotion and, and sort of data together. Why, why do you do that? Because um, I realized that that particular property I'm talking about, and it's only for a subset of certain properties, in my case, for owner-occupier properties. There's that part of my decision-making with an owner-occupier property, small part, that's like, I'll stuff it. Meaning I just would feel stupid if I missed out for that little bit extra. Have you ever tried that before? Is that something on your in your? Look, we, we some podcasts with property investors, right? We're we're, we're chatting like property investors, uh, for property investors. Um, you're only occupying homes. It's a completely different ball game. You know, it, it's 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 not apples with apples. It's apples and oranges. The, the rules, the, the the rules of engagement are different. Uh, for principal place residents, to, to, that, that's it. Don't overpay for a principal place residence because if you do, and the bank goes, it's not worth that much. You're not going to be able to get debt yeah. on it. That that may put significant pressure on your ability to to raise a bigger deposit. If you're raising a bigger deposit over here, it might stifle your ability to invest in property by two, three, four, five years. You know, so don't overpay for property. The the logic still um, uh, is is sound. However, with a with a owner occupier, you know, you're going to see yourself in that property. You're probably raising a family in that property. It's going to be a home. Same but different. Um, it's okay. It's okay if you spend a few more bucks on your principal place of residence if you have. I saw something on social media about six months ago. You bought, did you buy next door to where you were? Yeah. <laughs> it was an accidental purchase. I was not expecting next door to come up. 
And in the span of 20 minutes, it went from, I might go walk over next door, see what's happening to I'll have a bit of a go here. And my broker hated me for it. Please, anyone listening to this, don't do what I did. Uh, no approval, did no pest in building, but I knew the neighbors, I'd, um, obviously next door neighbors. And when I went there, it was 20 minutes turned from me and my trackies after a gym session, just walking around, turned into, I might have a go at this. Did you get a good price? I did. And that's the key thing, right? I mean, was it a really good price or you've justified it in your head? No, no, I would say it would be close to 10% under. And that was because the fact that it was August last year was when the peak fear was kicking in, right? It was a period of interest rate decline increases and there was no sign of them stopping. It was just that foot's on the pedal to keep ramping it up. And on top of that, it was Sydney where the price of sensitivity to interest rates was very high. Yeah. But uh, it just turned from seeing it for the first time to I'll have a go at this to, wait, it's not going to 1.7? And here it's at stuck at 1.6. And I'm like, I purchased over 500 properties. Comparable analysis is my specialty. Like I, I can look at a place just like the same way someone can look at whatever they do and go, oh, it's that worth much or it's this much or that's too expensive or this. Yeah. Property is my thing. And me going, that's a 1.7 all day. So better city investment property, I imagine now. You gotta... I actually moved into it. I, I, I realized when I walked through this the first time ever, holy crap, my neighbors look after their place way better than I look after mine. <laughs> and so I said, it's got an extra bedroom and it's very much... um. In, in, in the Indian families and very uh, common across many Asian families as well is that they have their parents live with them all the way deep into their 30s, 40s, 50s, however long it is. And usually we have to actually also, not all follow this tradition, but we also have to give them the master bedroom. So uh, here we are, uh, my wife and I tucked into the side small bedroom until now we're like, holy crap, this has a bedroom downstairs with an ensuite. So Believe it or not, it's probably my first ensuite I've ever had in my life, and I'm, you know, crossing 30, and I'm super proud of that. And so uh, now I'm like, okay, we we, we got to go for this. So we moved next door, and that was special. But that came as a result of that owner occupier had and and going for something. But yeah, the plan is to live there for a fair while, and once the time's right, hopefully try and amalgamate the blocks and build our dream home. But that's a fair bit away. Cross that bridge, you know, that that's the idea. It probably gives you options. Um... But, but independently, I'm sure the two assets are great. You might sell them off one day or sort of both your investment properties and move somewhere else. If your business keeps growing at the speed of this growing margin, um, maybe that can happen. But, it, you know, it sounds like you fought well uh, with those two things. But, you know, the, the, the price point thing is funny. So you're, you have a thing going, if I get this, I know I've done really good. But if I get this, it means that I can I can wear it, I can bear it. Um, yeah. It's good fun property if you, if you dig into the psychology of it all and, and, and put aside you know, the, the, the fact that we get to invest in property is a massive privilege, right? Like, you know, mm. to put it in perspective, like the fact that you're here talking about oh, yeah, broad place here and there, like, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool you can do. Yeah. No, it's very, it's very special. And, and Phil, I just wanted to say a big thank you today. You've uh, shared a lot of knowledge around some of the reflections of your own portfolio, but also what's really important, in my opinion, for today's session has been how you've reflected on some of the successes and mistakes that others, ma others have made because there's no shortage of stories that you've been able to have on uh, the Smart Property Investment Show and, and what you've been able to do there in terms of speaking to many others. So thank you for taking the time. And also, I'm sure many people loved hearing it from you now versus you holding the mic and sharing uh, you know, other people's stories. So mate, thanks again for joining in. Mate, happy to, um, happy to jump on and have your arm with the Arjun. And yeah, anytime, mate, give me a call. Thank you.